Welcome back to Are You For Real with Sarah Frick. Today, we are sitting down with Dr. Annie Andrews, who is running for South Carolina Congress. I came off of my small hiatus as we're kind of rebranding the podcast a little bit um, to have Annie on here because I recently held a fundraiser with Kate Towell and Stacey Smallwood. And I've known Annie and I've talked to Annie before, but after listening to her that night, I just was so impressed and I know not everyone can get to a fundraiser or to an event that Annie's speaking at. Um, and I just wanted to bring her on and really have her share her message um, that she delivered that night <clears throat> and ask some questions so that we could uh, get to know Annie a little better. So thank you so much. And you're a very busy woman. Let's just get, let's break down just who you are, Annie, before we get started. Sounds good. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I'm excited to be here. Yes. So I am a mom. I live in Mount Pleasant with my three kids who are all in elementary school. And I am a pediatrician at the Children's Hospital here in downtown Charleston. I have worked at the Children's Hospital since 2009. My husband is also a doctor downtown. And my whole life was built around my goal of wanting to be a doctor and a mom. And I'm so fortunate to be able to do both of those things. But what I've seen in my life in both of those roles led me to do what I'm doing now, which is something I never planned to do, which is run for Congress here in South Carolina's first district. So before we get into like the whys, because I remember you sharing that and it was very powerful as well. For somebody like me who doesn't know a ton about politics and is just starting to kind of dip their toe in, can you tell us the difference between like a senator, a uh, governor, a congresswoman, like congressman, whatever. Mm -hmm. Can you just kind of break down what that, how the, t how are is it is tears even the right word to say? Sure. Yes. So different yes. levels of government. <laughs> yeah. So I am running for the U.S. House of Representatives here in the first district. So you know, South Carolina has seven congressional districts. So every two years we elect seven representatives. I'm running in this district that sort of spans the low country, goes all the way down to Hilton Head, includes all of Beaufort, Berkeley County, all of Mount Pleasant. Um, so that's what I'm running for, to enact change at the federal level. You know, right now we have Joe Cunningham running for the governor's seat, and we have lots of great candidates on the ballot running for state house and state senate seats. Okay. And I am not a political person either. I have learned a ton in the past year. It's so confusing. It is so <laughs> confusing, and I think it's designed that way. We're not welcomed into this world mm -hmm. as women. I never was. I was intimidated by it, but now that I'm in it, it's all been demystified for me. I can tell you that you are fully qualified to do what I'm doing. I'm fully qualified to do it. The folks who are up in Columbia, the folks who are up in D.C. are not always up there for the right reasons, looking out for their constituents. And so we need more people like us mm -hmm. to just dive right in and figure it out as we go. And that's sort of what I'm doing. Right. Um, so what are the things that, like, what will your influence be on? Like, what will, just because I've seen personally, I feel let down by my senator. Um, I spoke with him the other day, um, who is the senator for Mount Pleasant. And uh, I don't know what his whole district is. Mm -hmm. But, um, and I did not feel represented. Mm -hmm. um, so was, so what are you, what, like, what do you, how do you represent, then how do you, does, then does it go to Senate? Does that make sense? Like, is yeah, there... Yeah, so it's really two parallel tracks of lawmaking. So we have what's going on in Columbia, which is where so much of the focus is right now, because with Roe falling, the abortion debate fell to state houses. And so that's where we're seeing all the abortion action right now. There are things that I can do federally to 
protect access to abortion services, and I plan to fight for those things. But a lot of that action, what we've seen happening in your state senator that you're talking about that you spoke with, he is doing his work to enact state laws. So when I think about like what's driving, a lot of our gun laws also are written at the state level. Mm -hmm. Uh, As a woman who's living in the South in a relatively red state, what I have observed is when the federal government says, let's leave it up to the states like they're doing for abortion now, like they've really done for gun laws for a while, like we do with our public education system, I feel like from my perspective that we often get left behind Mm -hmm. because the folks up in Columbia, I don't agree, I don't see eye to eye to them on those really core issues of abortion, access to abortion, of what we can do to prevent gun violence, of what our public education system should look like, about what our healthcare system can look like. Mm -hmm. So I see my role going up to D.C., to help folks in states like South Carolina by enacting some federal legislation to kind of level the playing field, to say, no, women in all 50 states should have action access to abortion services. Or here, we're going to pass a few federal gun laws to protect everybody in all 50 states, no matter what the people in your state capital are trying to do. And mm-hmm. so it's sort of like a checks and balances kind of system. Got it. And both are so critical to our daily lives. Right. So let's talk about, you know, like when uh, you spoke at the fundraiser, I believe it was Four Pillars, Mm -hmm. is that correct? Yeah. So let's let's just go into that. Okay. And I can ask questions from there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So when I talk to audiences, I really think this campaign has become about four things. And more and more, it's really about one thing, but there's four main things. So the first is access to abortion services, restoring women's reproductive freedom. When I got into this race last November, I never thought I would be talking so much about abortion because I had faith in the Supreme Court, which I shouldn't have had, Mm -hmm. that Roe would be upheld. So I didn't expect it to be overturned during this campaign, but when it was, this race really became about restoring access to abortion services for women in the state of South Carolina and women all across this country. I'm a mom of two young girls. I'm a doctor. I understand that abortion is health care. I believe deeply that we should trust women to make these decisions and that the government has no business legislating health care. Mm-hmm. So even though it's not why I got into the race or what my sort of underlying motivation or passion was, I feel very well equipped to take this fight on. And I am so grateful and feel incredibly privileged that I can be the voice of the women in this community when they're feeling so threatened with their rights being taken away. Yeah. So besides me who, you know, I I was like, oh, Annie's going to be my new best friend. So, (laughs) but besides me, like have, what, what is the community saying? And have you heard pushback like from women in our community as well? So, you know, I think it's important for people in South Carolina and everywhere to understand that we are on the right side of this issue. The vast majority of American women, the vast majority of South South Carolinian women support access to abortion services. So we are not in the minority, even here in South Carolina. So when Roe fell, everything at our campaign events changed. Like, the energy, the momentum. We are filling rooms wherever we go with Mm -hmm. young women who have not previously engaged in politics. They come up to me at every event and say, I have never come to an event like this before, Mm -hmm. but here I am and I brought a friend and I want to know what I can do to help get you and other pro-choice candidates elected. Mm -hmm. So I really think when Roe fell, they sort of awoke the sleeping beast, right? And all of this you know, pissed off mom, woman energy is going to come back to bite them in November. So 
I feel incredibly supported, both by my colleagues in the healthcare system and by all of my mom friends in my mm -hmm. neighborhood and in our school community, because this is unprecedented that they took away rights from half of Americans. You know, we have never lived through a time where a right that we had for decades got taken away. Mm -hmm. And on its face, that's pretty objectionable, sort of no matter what, right? no matter where you come from. Right. What Do you have anything to say about what Lindsey Graham's trying to do right now at the federal level? Well, first, the hypocrisy. Could you explain yes. that a little bit to yes. you, just for our listeners? Sure. Yeah. So today, he proposed a bill that would ban abortions after 15 weeks at a federal level, which means even if you live in California and you have appropriate evidence-based, science-based abortion laws that allow women at later stages of pregnancy to get abortion, you know, for medical reasons or for life of the mother or, you know, rape situations, et cetera, that this federal law would not allow California to do that. It would level the playing field in a bad way and ban abortion past 15 weeks for all 50 states. Mm -hmm. My initial reaction to hearing this news is the, the, the hypocrisy of it all, because literally days, weeks ago, lawmakers on that side of the aisle are talking about how it's appropriate to send this back to the states. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what our current congressional representative here in the Low Country said. Oh, good. Roe fell. Let's send it back to the states. This is a state's issue. The federal government was overreaching with the Roe decision. It's not a federal decision. Every state has the right to make their own decision. And literally, without blinking an eye, Lindsey Graham wakes up one day and decides, oh, no, actually, it's a federal decision now. Mm -hmm. I think what he's doing today and what he started today is a huge gift to women in our position who want to win this election on the abortion issue because they are not hiding what their goal is. Their goal is to ban abortion across this country. He said in his press conference today that if they take the House, if they take the Senate, they will have a vote on this abortion ban bill. So they are not hiding it. They're not trying to sugarcoat it. If they win, they will ban abortion and we will have re more restrictive abortion laws in all 50 states. Okay, so thank you. So if that got, if that, because I'm thinking like someone who's listening who may think, well, right now we're at these 12 weeks with the rape and incest, so is that better? So would South Carolina still keep where they are and the, lo the places like New York and California that have normal people abortion rights, that would go to 15? That is my understanding that it would be, you would allow, you would be, states would be allowed to restrict beyond 15 weeks. So they could enact a six week abortion ban or a total abortion ban, but there would be, no abortions after 15 weeks in all 50 states. So it would just sort of make the more permissive states more restrictive immediately, mm -hmm. but allow states like ours to continue down this path of a total abortion ban. Mm. Mm. Just love it. Mm -hmm. Love love that male decision right, yep. right there. Absolutely. Okay, so before we dive more into that, mm -hmm. give me your, what's the second pillar? Yeah. Okay, so it's gun violence. So um, I got really involved in the community after the Parkland shooting. Um, before that, I was really just focused on my career as a pediatrician, my busy life as a mom. But when that shooting happened, my oldest daughter was in kindergarten. And I felt incredibly vulnerable the days after that shooting, dropping her off at elementary school, thinking she might not be safe in her classroom. So that was really my moment where I woke up and realized, as a concerned mom, as a pediatrician, I need to get more involved in my community in some way to fight for the things that I believe in. And that was gun violence. And as a pediatrician, and I have some research training as well, I very quickly realized the depth and breadth of the issue of 
gun violence in our community and all across this country. And I started studying it. I shifted the focus of my research career from asthma to gun violence, studying the mental health consequences of pediatric firearm injury. And, you know, we just recently published a study that showed that gun violence is now the number one cause of death for children in the United States. Wow. In 2019, it became the leading cause of death for kids in this country. Motor vehicle collisions have for a long time been the leading cause of death, but because we have failed to act on gun violence, gun violence is now the number one cause of death for all children in this country. And as a pediatrician and a mom, that is not okay with me. Mm-hmm. So I really dove into the Moms Demand Action organization, got really involved advocating at the, at the community level and promoting secure firearm storage in my job at the Children's Hospital. And so that will always be a focus of my career in DC. I want an expanded background check law so that you can't go to a private, you know, guns, gun sale and buy guns without a background check. I believe that we need a federal law to protect people in states like ours where we have ridiculous gun laws, incredibly permissive gun laws. So we need a federal um, expanded background check law. We need a federal red flag law so that when you identify someone that you love who is at a risk to themselves or someone else, you can petition the courts to have their guns temporarily removed. Many states have enacted red flag laws. We in South Carolina are being left behind because our state lawmakers won't stand up to the gun lobby, so we don't have a red flag law. Red flag laws, when they are passed, protect groups of people like veterans who are struggling with PTSD. Mm-hmm. They protect teenagers who have you know, impulses to harm themselves. They protect all of us. They keep us safer. So we need one of those laws. We need a federal secure storage law so that adults are held liable if a child gains access to an unsecured firearm pulls a trigger, injures themselves or someone else. These are all common sense gun laws that mm-hmm. any mother, any any reasonable person would agree with. And in fact, the majority of Americans, Republicans, Democrats, gun owners, non-gun owners, agree with these laws. The only people who don't are the senators in Washington, D.C. So we have gridlock on this issue. And they're not willing to stand up to the gun lobby. So that is something I will always be focused on because, again, as a mom and a pediatrician, it's the number one cause of death. And until that is not the case, I will not stop working towards common sense on that issue. And do you feel personally that the reason why, you know, up in Washington, this isn't going anywhere is because people feel strongly about this or because they want the vote or... They're afraid of the gun lobby. And for a really long time, really until the Sandy Hook shooting, there was no opposition to the gun lobby. The gun lobby wrote our nation's and our state's gun laws for decades. They controlled everything. And then the Sandy Hook shooting happened and Moms Demand Action started. And all of these incredible gun violence prevention organizations across the country really gained momentum. Women like us joined in, used our voices to fight for kids. And so now I can run on a platform where I can tell you that I am a mom's demand action gun sense candidate and I'm running against someone with an A plus rating from the NRA. And politically, that helps me. Mm-hmm. 10, 15, 20 years ago, even a lot of Democrats running had A or B ratings from the NRA because the politics on this issue have shifted. People are paying attention. People are tired of turning on the news and seeing the headlines, the mass shootings, the random community gun violence. 
and people are using their voices and fighting back. So I think we finally have some power in this conversation politically. Mm -hmm. There's an organization, there's a movement to combat what the NRA has been able to do for the past decades. And so I feel incredibly confident that in 10 years, if we're having this conversation, our gun laws in this country are going to look completely different. And I'm not talking about abolishing the Second Amendment. I support the Second Amendment. If you're a law-abiding citizen, I absolutely support your right to own a firearm, multiple firearms, but these laws have evidence behind them and they can protect us and our children. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, wow, thank you so much. And I think, like, to your point, you know, you started paying attention a few years ago and started talking about it and then other people started talking about it and that's how change happens. I think, like, for me for so long, and I feel even, like, naive saying this, but, like, I just was like, well, I voted. I I did my part, you know? And I was so scared to open my voice about anything because it's like, well, Sarah, you own a business or, you know, you don't want to offend this person and that person. But I think as we start to talk and we're not like, we're just giving information and sharing our whys. And I've never been part of like a situation where so many people are interested. They might not agree with everything I say, but at least we're like talking and we're kind of learning about things. And one thing I have said, and this might not be a popular opinion, but as much as I hate what happened with Roe, I almost feel like as someone who's lived in South Carolina for a very, very, very long time, the longest I've lived anywhere, um, is something like this almost had to happen in our state because I feel like it's kind of like blown the, the, like the, the roof off, you know? And people are like looking in now, like me, and going, hmm, I don't know about that anymore. So anyway, let's keep going. No, I think you're exactly right. And I think if you can just look back at what's happened in South Carolina, and you've been a huge part of that, what's happened since Roe fell and what Wren has been leading, like it's an incredible movement that is making change in this state and its effects will go well beyond the abortion debate Mm -hmm. because it is organizing women and helping us find our political power. Mm -hmm. And that is something that will have decades of consequences, which is amazing. Absolutely. So the last two things I talk about are just the small things of democracy and the health of our planet. But I truly believe that if we don't enact sort of broad voting rights legislation that can end partisan gerrymandering, which is why we see such such extreme voices in Colombia, because these folks are representing deeply gerrymandered districts. So they're only... We explained that to our Yes, yes. So we have our lawmakers drawing their own district lines. Every 10 years we get new maps and they get to decide what the maps look like. So they get to pick the, you know, if they're a Republican lawmaker, they get to look at the map and pick the deepest red precincts and draw them into the district. And if things have shifted demographically in their district, they can, oh, I'm gonna draw out that blue di- that blue precinct so that I have a safer seat, so that my seat has is like 65, 70% Republican so that I will never lose to a Democrat. Right. And so then their real election becomes the primary election. So their their only chance of not keeping their seat is if they get beat by someone in the primary that is even more extremely right. red, right? And so that we end up with the most extreme voices in Colombia making our laws. What we should have is independent redistricting committees that look at the map and divide it into, you know, evenly divided based on population geographic sections that make sense maps which that could make go sense. both which could go both way absolutely in other states you know that aren't red like south carolina they have maps that are gerrymandered by democrats mm-hmm. you know it is a huge threat to our democracy and it is 
its most urgent impacts are at the state level because we have witnessed that. We have been in Colombia. We have looked face-to-face with these lawmakers Mm -hmm. who could not be more extreme. Our lawmakers are making national news almost every day because of the insane extreme positions that they're taking. And that is a result, a direct result of gerrymandering. So if we passed at the federal level, a voting rights bill that included an end to partisan gerrymandering, that would really restore the health of our democracy almost immediately. And that is the biggest threat to our democracy. And so I do say that, you know, if we don't maintain our democracy, restore the health of our democracy, none of this other stuff matters because no one's going to be voting on any issues. We're going to be in a dictatorship, you know, who knows? So as a mom, and I think about my kids and my future grandkids, and I worry that if we don't take this threat seriously, that they might not be living in a true democracy in just a matter of a generation or two. And we saw that on January 6th, we came so close to losing our democracy that day. Mm -hmm. And I fear because I think there's still a huge swath of lawmakers in D.C. who really are denying the threat we were under on January 6th, or they actually support what was happening on January 6th. And that worries me because I do think that our democracy is very fragile. So voting rights legislation and then climate change. We are so fortunate to live in the low country, such a beautiful place to live. It is the reason my husband and I moved here. It's the reason we've stayed here. I love raising my kids, being able to go to the beach. But we are one of the most vulnerable districts to the effects of climate change. And we cannot afford to be represented in Washington, D.C. by someone who doesn't accept that climate science is real and that climate change is man-made. And that is the situation we are in currently, and that needs to change. That is embarrassing to be represented by someone who doesn't believe in climate science. I'm not saying we need a climate scientist as our representative, but we need someone who respects what the science tells them, and we don't have that right now. And the clock is ticking. If you talk to climate scientists, if you look at the NASA website about sea level rise and temperature rise, the clock is ticking and we have to act with urgency to protect our planet. Yeah. Wow. That's all so valid. So true. <laughs> um, I guess, uh, you know, I'm just trying to think of like some questions I've had with when you had your fundraiser, when we did the fundraiser with you, <clears throat> there's a few women that I'm friends with and um, I don't think that we think the exact same and I don't think it's, um, I think it's just, you know, a lot of women and I'm going to speak and people are going to be like, well, don't speak for me. In my experience, a lot of women their parents voted a certain way, and I think a lot of people, right? And so they vote a certain way, especially in the South, Mm -hmm. um, and never really questioned it. Um, And so I invited a few women that I've known for a long time and just said, you know, I'd really like for you to come to Annie's event. I know this might be out of your comfort zone, but I think even, even if you don't vote for her, I just would love for you to hear what she has to say because it's informative, she's smart, it's factual. So what would you say to women that, in their mind or just thinking like, well, what, what does my vote matter? Because I mean, I've heard a lot of people say, I'm just not even going to vote. And I'm like, oh, please don't do that. <laughs> Can I have your vote, please? <laughs> um, I mean, that's what they want to, they want us to feel like our vote doesn't matter. And by they, I really just like, this is a very generic term, but like every single vote matters. State house seats and especially every single vote matters. We're talking about tens of votes or hundreds of votes that determine the outcome of these elections and send these people to Colombia who are deciding to ban abortion or deciding to pass open carry gun laws when we're suffering from such a high rate of gun violence. So every vote matters and you have to understand, you know, our forefathers fought for our freedom to vote. We need to and, you know, women decades ago fought for our freedom as you women You might not have vote. it much longer, ladies. Just kidding. <laughs> so, and I think people need to, you know, I grew up, my parents were Republican growing up, and my dad will still 
identify as a Republican, although obviously he's supporting my campaign and he supports Joe Cunningham, but it's this isn't our father's Republican Party. Mm-hmm. And I think people need to really sit down and think about what their values are and what they value in life and what their priorities are, and then look at the choices. Mm-hmm. And which party, regardless of the label or the letter behind the candidate's name, which candidate, which party represents what you believe in. Mm-hmm. Because things aren't like they used to be. You used to go in the voting booth and have two very reasonable choices, right? You know, differ on economic policy, but, um, you know, reasonable choices in the voting booth. And today, I really worry that on one side, we have folks who aren't interested in preserving our democracy, folks who are interested in ripping away our reproductive freedom as women, and denying climate science because they want to continue to get campaign donations from the oil and gas companies. I mean, it's so corrupt. And that's what goes, a lot of the choices are about money. Yes. Do I understand that correctly? Yeah, so you have candidates who take money from oil and gas companies, take money from the NRA who wants to write our nation's gun laws, take money from big pharmaceutical companies who don't want us to lower the cost of insulin. And it all goes back to the money. I mean, the way that our campaigns are financed, it's a huge problem that we could talk about forever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But what will fix that problem in the most efficient way is if people really start voting based on their values, because I guarantee you the majority of voters in my district, I'm running in the majority of voters across the state, agree with our shared values about preserving our environment, preserving our democracy, fighting for our children's safety in their classrooms, Mm -hmm. and fighting for our individual freedoms to make our own decisions about our healthcare. Right. This episode is brought to you by Hamden Clothing. I love helping people feel empowered, engaged, and uplifted in their bodies during a class, but I also love when the empowerment reaches beyond just a 45 or 60 minute workout, especially when what I wear amplifies the way I feel in my body. We all deserve to feel good in what we wear, and Hamden Clothing has been helping women feel empowered through clothing for over 15 years. With one of the most uniquely curated mix of luxury and designer brands, Hamden stylists and personal shoppers bring the runway to your doorstep. Stop by the amazing Hamden storefront on King Street in downtown Charleston, or shop hundreds of brands like Marnie, Ghani, Golden Goose, Isabel Marant, and more at HamdenClothing.com. That's Hamden, H-A-M-P-D-E-N, clothing.com, where you can even try before you buy with their new Try Now program. Every single item that's in the store is available online and hand-picked by one of my very best friends, Stacey Smallwood, who is just a total badass. Have questions about a specific item? Go to www.hamdenclothing.com. Use the live chat feature in the bottom right-hand corner and a personal shopper will help you get started right away. Hamden is one of my favorite stores and I can't wait for you to try it and feel empowered in a new outfit. You're running against Nancy Mace. So what is at stake if you don't win? Sure. So on the ballot in my race, I think there's two pretty clear choices. So we've been talking about these four issues. So speaking first about reproductive freedom, I've already kind of talked about what I believe that abortion is health care. And my opponent has a very clear record. So she's been in D.C. for almost two years. She was in the state house for one term before that. So her record on abortion is this. She was in the state house when the six-week 
abortion ban was written and voted into law. So she helped to write that bill and she voted for that bill. That is an extreme, extreme abortion ban. So she was proud of that bill. Then she was, you know, our representative in DC when Roe fell. And the day that Roe fell, she celebrated. And then very quickly, the House tried to codify Roe, meaning pass a federal law to protect access to abortion services, at least up until the point of fetal viability. She had the chance to vote for that. She was the one woman from this district who could have stood up and said, you know what, enough is enough. You can't take away our rights. She voted no on codifying Roe. She then had the chance to vote to allow women in states like ours to leave the state to seek abortion services. They wanted to protect outside of the state travel. And rather than vote one way or the other on that bill, she actually just took a walk and didn't take a vote on that bill. So she has a really extreme record on this issue, and she's one of the, you've probably seen headlines about some of the Republican lawmakers who have scrubbed their websites of their extreme anti-abortion positions because they see the same polling that I see, that their position is very unpopular. And so she's changed her website, and she's trying to appeal to moderate voters in this district, but you cannot erase a voting history. So that's where she is on that issue. Um, On the gun violence issue, similarly, she has pretty extreme views. She has an A-plus rating from the NRA. Can you explain what that is? Yeah, so the National Rifle Association is the biggest sort of gun lobbying organization in the country, and they rate candidates based on how they vote on gun bills. So I didn't apply for a rating from them, but I would be an F, of course, and (laughs) she has has an A because she's not willing to stand up – for common sense gun laws, which I said earlier, are supported by the vast majority of Americans. And perhaps the most two things to explain her position on guns. One is her campaign literature from this most recent primary election in June had in all caps the words Nancy loves guns and then listed the guns that she owns. And again, I said I support gun ownership for you know law-abiding citizens, but That's pretty extreme messaging in a community like ours that is suffering from gun violence where parents are worried about their children's safety in Mm -hmm. school. And then the vote that I will never forgive her for as a mother. So I think we were all shocked and horrified at the day of the Texas Uvalde shooting. 19 fourth graders was the age of my daughter at the time. 19 fourth graders and two educators were mowed down in their classroom in a matter of seconds by an angry young man with an assault rifle. I felt so angry and helpless and horrified when I heard that news. And just imagine those families and those children who, you know, the stories of the children laying on their dead classmates' bodies, Mm. pretending like they're dead. I mean, it's horrific, but it happened in this country. She had the opportunity to stand up and be a leader. She's a mother. She has children in school just like we do. Congress very quickly worked and passed a bipartisan gun safety bill, which was very bipartisan. Lindsey Graham supported it. It was, you know, some really basic things like increased mental health resources in schools. It sort of increased the level of scrutiny on background checks when someone between the age of 18 and 21 wanted to buy an assault rifle Mm -hmm. that can kill 19 fourth graders in seconds. She couldn't, she didn't vote for that bill. She voted no on this bipartisan gun safety bill. And that is the vote that I will never forgive her for, no matter what happens in November. I cannot believe that she didn't have the courage to stand up to protect our kids in the classroom. Unbelievable. Yeah. Whew. So she, talking about the last two issues on voting rights, she voted against the Voting Rights Act. 
She voted against the January 6th committee. And despite everything we've learned from those hearings about how close we came to losing our democracy that day, she has said very publicly since then that she hasn't learned anything interesting from those hearings. She doesn't want to be too quick to judge. So she's not interested in getting into getting to the bottom of what happened that day because it's not good for her party and her political future. So she's bad on that issue. She's bad on the climate. She's a climate science denier. She voted against the Inflation Reduction Act, which is a funny name because it's really a climate and health care bill. And she voted against that. She voted against the bipartisan infrastructure bill, which is very deeply related to climate because, as I'm sure you experienced here in Charleston, the Crosstown was underwater two days last week. We couldn't get from one side of the city to the other because we have not acted on our infrastructure. We haven't invested in our infrastructure. We have sea level rise. We have more extreme storms. And she's not interested in actually solving those problems. And you can tell that by her voting record. Yeah. Wow. Mic drop. (laughs) (laughs) So as we kind of wrap this up a little bit, let me ask you this. This is just like a mom question. Mm -hmm. Like, what's your life going to look like like this? Yeah. Because yeah, that's a very valid question. Yeah, so my is you your know, husband like a superstar? <laughs> John would yes. be like, "You're out, bye." <laughs> yes, I mean, I have a huge network of support in this community. My husband is fantastic. He's also a very busy critical care physician, uh, but he is amazing. My parents live here in town. My mother-in-law is retired and has been spending a lot of time in Charleston to help us out. My kids are young. My kids are in fifth, second, and kindergarten. Mm -hmm. So this is an insane time for me to run for office. But honestly, when I, so my mom was the first person I told, I was seriously thinking about doing this. And she had a very mom response, which is like, this is crazy. What about the kids? Why don't you wait 10 years, wait 20 years until the kids are older? (laughs) Right. And I just, I could not shake the feeling feeling that like I was being called to do this and that this was my moment to stand up and speak out. So it doesn't make a lot of sense on paper that I'm going to do this. But when I win in November, I will resign my position at the Children's Hospital and I will commute. You know, I will spend a few days in D.C. and then I will come back. My family will stay here. I will just fly back and forth Mm -hmm. and it'll be really hard. And men do it all the time. (laughs) Right. No one asks them how they're going to do it. Right. Um, Right. And so thankfully it's 2022 and it's not, you know, 1952 and it's acceptable that my husband can step up and pick up the slack while I'm in D.C. doing this. But I do think about that. You know, my oldest is about to turn 11 and I've said I would serve three terms, which would be six years. Mm -hmm. So I could theoretically be doing this from her ages of 11 to 17, which... What mother wants to miss any bit of those ages with their daughter? And that will be really hard. That will be a huge sacrifice. But I know that she understands that I'm doing this to fight for her and her friends. Totally. And that empowers me to keep doing it. Absolutely. I feel you. I mean, I'm not going to be running for government. Nobody worry about that. Carter (laughs) and I were laughing before. I was like, because I said, you know, Annie's coming in and da-da-da-da. And I said something about me running for office, totally kidding. And she was like, we would all vote against you (laughs) (laughs) because you don't even know your passwords. (laughs) But even just like, you know, running the businesses and thinking about growth, like I have a lot of great girlfriends who are like, they're watching you and they're seeing that you you give a shit, not just for your like pocket, but for your, you know, for people. And I think that that's such a great gift that we can give our youth because I mean, she's going to go on and go to college and do her whole life, whatever she does. And you know, she'll always have that. So I think that that's amazing right. as well. She's never going to stop and think, well, can I do this because I'm right. a woman? Or can I do this because I want to be a mom? Like right. we are showing them that you can do it all. Yep, you can. 
a little bit of help from your therapist. That's right. (laughs) Or me personally. Um, Well, Annie, I know you are super busy. I appreciate you so much. Um, Tell people last day to register to vote, when voting is, everything. Yes. yes. So um, you have to register in South Carolina about a month before the election. I think October 9th is the deadline. And at the studios, guys, we actually have QR codes. We, it, we don't ask you which way you're voting. We just want you registered to vote. So if you scan your thing, do your QR code, show one of us, we'll add a free class to your account too. That's amazing. That's amazing. And the election is November 8th. So no matter where you live, election day is November 8th. And here in South Carolina, you can vote early for two weeks before election day. You can show up for any reason and vote early and just get it done with. And then on November 8th, you can be a poll watcher. You can help drive people to the polls. You can stand on the street corner and wave a sign that says, go vote. Um, But everybody, like everything is at stake this election. So we've got to get serious. People need to look at their calendars now. If you're going to be out of town on November 8th, make a plan to vote early. Mm -hmm. If you're supposed to work on November 8th, talk to your boss. Make sure that you can get to the polls because every vote matters. And then I'll just say if people want to hear more about my campaign, our campaign website is dranniandrews.com, and they can go there to learn more about the other things I'm fighting for. Yeah, and one thing Annie said when we spoke um, or when she spoke again at the uh, event we had is that, and I can I can understand this just as someone on the outside caring about you and Ren and Joe and everybody, like asking for money is very, very, very uncomfortable. However, resources fund campaigns. And because, and I'm going to say this all wrong, do not put this on Annie or anybody else, because she's not taking money from the NRA, we need to help her. <laughs> um, and so, you and Every amount counts. Truly, truly, I know I've talked to some of the really wonderful young women here, and they're like, I mean, I could do $25. Mm-hmm. I'm like, great, do $25. That's amazing. Yep. 25 times four is 100, right? Times four, times four, times four. Exactly. So um, check her out, you guys. Um, tell them where they can find you on Instagram and your website. Yeah, I think you might have said Yeah, one, so but. the website is dranniandrews.com, and then I am on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook as Annie Andrews MD. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you guys so much for listening. Please share this with your friends. Um, It's just so, such good information. And as always, rate us, review us, and go out and vote.